Hello, everyone, and welcome to Tabletop Radio Hour, your podcast for everything tabletop. My name's Zach, and this week I've got the regular crew. I've got Mark, and I've got Logan. Mark, how are you today? I'm doing dandy. How you doing? Doing very well, thank you. And Logan? Doing well, thanks. Perfect. Well, good to have you gentlemen here today. Uh, today we're going to have another regular talk show. I, I always say regular talk show. They're rarely regular. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but today, I think we're going to jump into one of our favorite segments, Game at a Glance. In Game at a Glance, we talk about um, you know, a specific game system. Um, in this case... We're going to step back into the time machine a little bit, and we're going to do a game at a glance on one of our favorite games, uh, 7th C 2nd Edition. Kind of cheating a little bit, aren't we? And I don't... Uh, we're, it, uh, we're, it's only cheating if you get caught. Don't tell them. Exactly. Ah, don't, t- point, yeah. don't tell them. Don't tell them. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we're we're kind of... Uh, you know, here, here's kind of a look into the uh, behind the scenes here at the podcast, but we're kind of looking to to get into uh, another Seventh Sea campaign. Well, so yeah. For full disclosure here, I know we just aired Seventh uh, Sea episodes, but when did we record that? Wasn't that that was a while ago? That March, was March, I April. Mean, I think it was before the first quarantine. I think so. Yeah, it could be. So it must have been February March or, or early March. earlier. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So it's um, it's probably been, you know, close to a year since we've played. Since we've actually sat down and played. Yeah. 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 Uh and, and of course we we have announced here that Steve cannot no longer regularly get together with us. So mm-hmm. um we you know, we want to keep playing, we want to play again. So Yeah. And getting getting Logan's opinions in on this is going to be valuable, and just stepping back and taking another good look at this game is uh, has a lot of value, I think. Absolutely, because you know, even though we have played a lot of Seventh Sea, uh, we're still half of us. Some of us are still me. I'm not a great Seventh Sea <laughs> GM. <laughs> well, it's hard because you know you've got so many other systems in your mind. You've got other things yeah. that you've done before. You've got home rules or or ideas you read online or whatever else not. And it's good to sometimes just be like, okay, let's get back to looking at what the system is and intended for, and kind of you know mm-hmm. like a, a realignment. And exactly, Seventh Sea is such a backwards system, kind of. It, it deals with things in a very different way. Yeah, it's not so complimentary you're... saying backwards, but I agree. There are yeah. some moments where you're like, "Wait, what?" Okay. Right, right. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I don't mean it that way, but yeah, you're right. You know, it it's really it twists a lot of the things that you mm-hmm. normally do in a, a role playing game. Yep. Yeah, and the and the ideal ideas and and concepts and stuff that would work in other systems might not work 
uh, might, might not work here for, for several different reasons. But Well, you can I'm make sure it we'll... work here, but it's not how the system was designed. And then you start pulling away right. from it, and then you got to ask, am I actually playing 2nd Edition 7C, or am I just yeah. making up my own homebrew? <laughs> exactly. Yes, that's true. <laughs> exactly. Uh, before we kind of dive deep into the core of this, this topic here, um, I believe both of you gentlemen have experience playing 7C first edition, correct? Yes, I do. Yes, that is true. How, okay, so just taking a step back and looking at things, um, from what you've played of first and and from what you've played of second, are there giant major differences? I know there's (laughs) some timeline differences uh, just a little bit, but do you want to pick that apart a little bit? Sure. We can definitely look at that. I mean, yeah. you know, looking at storyline-wise, there's some some major differences. Uh, looking at system-wise, they're unrecognizably uh, different. Um, like, <laughs> huge leap and bound, which, you know, not good or bad. It just is, you know, a uniquely different um, feeling. Uh, I, right. Actually, I, I can't say that. The feeling is very much the same. But how they mm-hmm. get to that feeling is very different. Well, I think, I, I think if you really want to cut it down to a, a core change is first edition is you know very much more the old school you have a difficulty you roll dice you beat the difficulty or not yep the new system is much more you roll the dice and then you spend the next segment of game time explaining what those dice is you know what that dice roll represents Mm -hmm. and that makes it a much more narrative game it's it's much more it relies a lot more on describing the action than just rolling the dice to get a result yeah yeah exactly yeah maybe my play experience is a little different uh the mechanics definitely are much more that you know roll for a target number sort of thing um but i never felt like it wasn't a narrative system um no you know no uh i think the fact that there aren't mechanics there makes you feel like you have to narrate more with second edition um yes or the mechanics mm-hmm. are, you know, okay, you basically you you get the talking stick for a certain number of times in this round, mm-hmm. as opposed to first edition is a little bit more like I would like to do this thing, cool, roll for that thing, okay, now let's describe what did that actually look like, you know, yeah. so it's it's yeah. a different yeah. it's a different way of interacting for sure. Yes, I, you're absolutely right, and, and I just meant the mechanics mm. don't support you. There's still so much narrative to yeah. the first mm-hmm. one. Both first and second are huge. Yeah. With their world building and yeah. the narrative elements oh, that it yeah. bring to it, and you know that's what both that both that's why both games have very much a narrative flavor, very and that's so. been a constant through the whole thing. Yeah, I think one oh, of the absolutely. the big changes narratively, um, obviously, is adding in a whole other nation that wasn't there in the the first uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, iteration of the game, as well as expanding True. on places outside of. Thea as a continent, uh, more than just like a small little dash, you know. Yes. Uh, look, yeah. Cathay is on the other side of this wall of fire. Uh, don't talk about it. Uh, there's right. some places on the across the sea. <laughs> We're not going to talk about that. You know, maybe that's we'll true, give you a book right. for you know some place that's down south. But yeah, nah. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> and second edition has definitely taken the time to try and expand and give you you know a fair amount of resources if you do want to cr- sail across the seas or or travel to other lands outside of Thea. That is true. Yeah, second edition does a really good job of expanding the world out to be more of a full world mm-hmm. and and less of a, a 
country, I guess, you know, yeah. group of countries. Right. Um, now, so yeah, they... I, like I said, I haven't, I haven't played any of first edition. Ah. Um, I, I jumped straight into to second edition. Um, sh- very shortly after the, their, their Kickstarter finished. Okay. Um, but yeah, uh, I think, yeah, let's just, let's jump in. <laughs> nice. <laughs> there's, there's a lot in this book. Um, I think, yeah, first, first thing that we, we should, we can and should say is a lot of this core rule book is uh, exposition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to Lots put it lightly. <laughs> and a lot of the There's follow-up books, too. So, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, there is absolutely exposition for days in this world. Yeah, because, you know, they, they go into... I thought they went into a, a fair amount of detail in the core rule book, and then I and then I opened one of the nation's books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. uh, because yeah, they they just go so hard with with all of the explanation and description. Yeah, um, but kudos to them because it helps set a, a very detailed, uh, very elaborate world, mm-hmm. um, which I personally enjoy. Uh, just because uh, it, it it helps you get immersed into this already worked on, already thought through, already planned out world yeah. instead of uh, you know home, maybe homebrewing your own uh, setting and locations, True. And stuff like that. But Huge number I, of NPCs to run into and oh recognize and, and interact yeah, that- with and. Just for the the listeners, if you haven't actually looked at the books for 7C, the main core rulebook has like 10 pages per nation explaining what's going on. And then Mm -hmm. there are two separate books just for the nations of Thea, which have four nations or five nations in each. So you got like 60 pages more for each nation if you want to get into all the deep details. Uh, There's so many little pieces and parts you can get into, like you said, with, you know, villains and history and background, which is really great if you really want to take a system and a setting and just absorb it. And then be able mm-hmm. to show that to others. If you do want to homebrew, there is some room for that, but there's a lot that's already established there that you kind of have to make sure you get in line first, so you don't, you know, miss something if one of your players also knows a lot about the the details of this setting. Right, and yeah. each nation has its very own flavor when it comes to very things so. like magic or uh, swordsman techniques Dueling or styles, fighting yeah. fighting styles. Even a lot of the uh, just abilities are mm-hmm. uh, some of them are very tailored to specific countries. Yeah, there's definitely oh, okay. a whole section of of talents and um, abilities that are only for if you're of this heritage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Which in a in another game, I think might be a turnoff for me, mm-hmm. just because in in this game specifically. Uh, there are so many different kinds of characters you can play mm-hmm. because there are how many nations? There are how many different dueling styles, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So I, limiting some of those things doesn't take away from other parts of the game just because there's so much variety. True. That is true. Yeah, there there are things that are specific to each nation, but each nation has so many things. And there's... The majority of stuff does run across the board. Anybody can do a lot of, of anything. But Maybe it won't be the name things... of the same, but you can get to the same result for sure. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But the, yeah. you know, there's enough in whatever 
background you pick, you're going to have enough options to do something uh, pretty wonderful diverse. and yeah. adventurous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, much kind of, like kind of like the game wants you to. Much like the gameplay where you have to roll and have certain raises and stuff to do actions, and then you have to talk out what that is. The character creation is much more like that. You buy these pieces and parts as opposed to a class and a background. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, uh, so the character creation can be fairly depthful. Uh, it's going to take a while. I mean, for example, it's got a whole section of 20 questions. <laughs> and I've mm -hmm. known yeah. GMs who put in more than just those because they want oh, you to yeah. really get into all this background and stuff. So if you like writing a, a detailed background for your character before you even start playing, that could be a lot of fun. If right. you want to discover your character as you're going, that can be a little harder because you kind of have to know some of that beforehand. You have to buy pieces. You have to make sure you got all these parts together. Now, I'm not saying discovery can't happen, but it is a mm -hmm. bit more like any other you know piecemeal system where you, you do organically grow and organically develop your character. So you kind of have to have a plan beforehand so you don't feel worthless <laughs> getting into <laughs> the gameplay and not having yeah. any idea what right. you're doing with it. And that's probably something worth mentioning too is you start this game as a big damn hero. You yep. you're right. not a zero level, you know, first level paladin. You you have skills, you have abilities, you're diving into danger from from the beginning. So mm -hmm. that uh, that that's kind of exciting for me. I like that feeling of being able well, to jump right into a game off that big heroic sort of feeling. The game itself doesn't have a, a way for you to fail, really. Now, I know you guys are about to correct me, but based on the basic <laughs> rules, if you get some raises of any form, you can't fail unless you want to. You know, so there's no rolling a one and being hosed. Now, there is a way that if you get, you roll all your dice and you have no raises at all, something special happens. But again, that's not a guarantee of failure. Yeah, that's just that's a guarantee rare. that right. something weird is going to happen. And that happens so rarely. Like, have you guys ever experienced that? No. I haven't. No, no, can't, no. Can't say I have. No. So unless you choose to, which there's literally a mechanic for, I fail, and I take mm -hmm. all those consequences. You mm -hmm. don't fail, which is both cool and weird. <laughs> right. Like yes. if you're used to yeah, being it... hosed by your dice, it's nice to not fail because of the bad <laughs> die roll. But oh, I'm very used to being hosed by the dice. <laughs> Me too. However, you do, you know, a lot of times have to choose how you do succeed. Yep. You. Uh, you know, there may be several parts to a a risk, mm -hmm. and you might mm -hmm. have to choose which part of that you succeed at, sacrificing other parts of that success. Well, there's that right. nuance in there, because it's not just I succeed or fail. It's cool. Exactly. You succeeded to get across this room, but you didn't quite succeed to not get hurt. Or right. to grab that, you know, sheet of paper over there on the desk. Or yep. to notice this other thing. Like, there are five or six different things you could try and succeed at mm -hmm. and it's very hard to get all of them correct right definitely and kind of looking at the the rules specifically you know they they bake in those those different aspects of you know choosing where you fail mm -hmm. and uh and then the fact that your character can't die in combat unless it's by a villain's hand mm -hmm. yep that you know that is not word for word but no no that's i mean that's pretty close that's definitely with intent you know uh, sure. or how the, the rules as intended um go mm -hmm. because i think they don't want to have a dumb death for your hero and a lot of yeah you know, uh, gms or dms or narrators already have that in bake they're not going to kill off their players for a dumb reason but it's not system supported 
for a lot of systems. So it's nice here that right. it's like, no, unless it's the big bad or a big bad, yeah. you're not going to just die randomly by, you know, a rock hitting you in the head. Yeah, exactly. Ca- uh, character death is important. Yes. Uh, more or less. Yeah. You know, they don't say anything other than 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 that. But, you know, that kind of weighs character death a little bit heavier just because it can only be an, an important moment kind of situation. Dramatically yeah. valuable. There we go. Now, I'd like <laughs> to talk a minute about the uh, choosing to fail mechanic. Okay. And... You know, that is something that uh, I think narratively is kind of fascinating, but how much have you guys experienced it? You know, every so often I feel like people do that uh, in games that I run, but it's usually earlier on in the game because they're like, wait, that's a thing? Cool. I want to push that button. That that makes sense. It it is something I think that players need to... It's tough for players to get into their head that you could choose to fail and it's a good thing you know Mm -hmm. it's a dramatic it adds to the story i think so many players have kind of ingrained in themselves i have to succeed right that they they have a hard time right exactly you know the fact that this game makes succeeding like you said relatively easy it it's harder to get the other side of that which is failing than is fun I think that's definitely a, a thing that right. would be good to encourage. Uh, mm-hmm. Something I hear people talk about with other role play systems is it's really, really hard to capture um, capture a party. Nobody wants to feel captured. They always want to be able to fight their way mm-hmm. out. Like it's really sure. hard to get somebody in a situation where I got you captured, you're tied up. Now the villain can, you know, exposition at you, and then you guys have a daring escape. Yeah, which they is just can't even get cinematically. Yeah, in movies that happens all the time. All the time. And it's impossible it, almost in a role play yeah. game. Right. Yeah. So I think yeah. this is this is a different mindset, you know, too, where you can look at the mechanics for 7C and see how you can quote game it. It's a very narrative system, but if I go into a fight situation, I realize this is all of the bad guys brutes. If I continue to fight in the situation, I'm going to get multiple wounds. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. they're looking to capture me. Cool. I fail. Hands up. Yeah. I'm captured now. You're captured. I take whatever that is. Yeah. Okay, what's the bad thing? Well, you're captured. Okay, cool. But I get a mm-hmm. hero point. Now, mm-hmm. the next scene that is actually more important than just fighting a bunch of brutes and getting myself beat up, now I have more resources available to me to do something with that. Yeah, right, it's exactly. A, right. It's a difference in mindset. Yeah, it's this is a very rough game for power gamers, I think. <laughs> I think I think they would just kind of come into this and run out the door screaming because right. you're giving them everything they want to their detriment, you know? Right. Yep. Uh, yeah, I, I I agree. I think it's it's a game that I I personally think is is fairly balanced on the side of narration and uh, allowing players to do what they want within certain limits. Yeah, I think there's definitely the option to to help you know you do what you want to do and help you feel like you can achieve certain things. Um, I have experienced that there's also a bit of fatigue in that. It's always so hard to leave any situation without some sort of harm. Like I can always yeah. succeed, mm. but can I get all of the opportunities? Can I get through without any consequences? Like that's extremely hard. And so yes. just having scenes, you start feeling like you're just wearing down and whittling down and you never can quite get out of it clean, which can be really good and enjoyable, but it also can feel like it's really wearing you down. 
and that feeling of always succeeding but never actually succeeding also feels feels like a bait and switch for some players because it's like cool i always succeed but do i really i'm beat up still true like uh you know which so but again that is so fitting the cinematic nature of this you look at die hard yeah that's what that movie is the john mcclain factor yeah (laughs) and and you know thinking about the teamwork aspect of things you know maybe you can't get everything but maybe you beat up the baddies while the other guy takes the opportunity and does something else right true so you're you feel like you're helping the situation maybe you're not doing every part of helping with the situation but you're helping with the situation (laughs) in the in the big picture yeah um which again is is feels fairly rewarding because that camaraderie and teamwork aspect of of role playing is always you know that's kind of kind of why we're here <laughs> right right now we've all run this game in some fashion or another um mm-hmm. yes how hard is it as a narrator for the system that the characters are that are playing always succeed how much does that feel like a frustration and there's not really a way to stop what's going on or do you ever care that it's you can't stop what's going on uh, well, here's here's my personal thought on, on kind of on this question. It, it's is basically uh, as the GM with players that can do a lot of the stuff that they want to fairly easily. Um, I find joy in trying to throw curveballs um, in the forms of you know different game mechanics, whether that be villains or. Um, different combinations of brute squads or not even getting into the all the diplomatic possibilities that you can get into Mm, in this game yep um it's 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 exciting to give your players this new adventure whatever that adventure is going to be um and i I think that's what's rewarding in in the sense of being a gm in this system Hmm. Okay, so you like the hurdle of trying to challenge yourself to outthink what they could be thinking. Interesting. Yeah. For me, I like the fact that the fact that you know they're going to succeed can help you basically with kind of railroading in a to a degree. You can create these bigger epics where you kind of know where things are going to go because it's a little bit easier to to assume how they're going to succeed and uh, you know a little bit easier that they're going to be able to make it to the next step. Um, mm-hmm. There's still lots of opportunities for, for challenging things on more of a story level rather than a mechanical level. Um, mm-hmm, you know, like sure. you say, they're going to come out, come out beat up, but <laughs> you know, if, if, you have them, you know, losing a loved one or something. It's much more of a role-playing sense of loss than a the dice screwing personal yeah. sense of loss. Yeah. So exactly. there's a lot of room for that as well. See, it's very interesting you use the term railroad in this context here because uh, a lot of people seem to think railroad is I control where the story goes. But honestly, right. most players that I've I've experienced in any game 
kind of wait till something happens and are naturally reactionary. So they, they mm-hmm. want you to kind of control where things are going. I feel like when, you know, bad railroading happens, and maybe this is a whole topic for another discussion. Anyway, yeah. but when bad <laughs> railroading happens, it's taking away player agency. Right. And I think when good railroad right. happening happens, it's it's like a roller coaster, right? Nobody complains about a roller coaster being on rails. In fact, if right. it was off rails, that would be a big, big problem. Good point. But roller coasters very, are really fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and and this game specifically, uh, and other games like it, mm. um, kind of, I think they, they try and grasp onto that collaborative storytelling yep. uh, well, statement. One of the things I wanted to bring up, one so. of my favorite parts of this system, is the, the story system. Yeah. You know, oh, for the, experience, yeah. The, yeah, the fact that the players come up with a personal story and, you know, they come up with a step for it. So for the game master, all you're doing is you're collecting these steps and you weave them into a story. So the players are very much into driving where the story is going and what mm-hmm. the, the kind of things they want to experience. And it's not just the GM coming up with all the story hooks. Right, Exactly. Well, and it's built into the system. It's not just, hey, guys, what mm-hmm. things do you want to see? And the GM asking the players. But there's also, like, a built mechanic for that. That aids. Yes. In, in order for your character to yep. progress yeah. in whatever way. Because this isn't traditional with, uh, with you know, points. I did things. Here. I gained yeah. XP. I killed yeah. this many goblins. I get this many XPs. <laughs> right, <laughs> but exactly. But it's kind of cool because in that way, the players are kind of railroading the GM. To some yeah. small degree, yeah, yeah, very much so. I I enjoy it. I mean, w- w- kind of looking at the way we run things here, mm. we do the round robin GM, so mm-hmm. that's even more collaborative storytelling. Yes, um, and honestly, with the way this story experience, you know, the story section, you know, the way it works. It just works so well with this round robin GM because it's really no different. We're all coming up with story elements, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. The hard part so. is if you have a player who likes to be more the audience member player and then do a couple of cool things here and there, then the act of driving player. You know, this system is very much based on uh, creativity and I want to tell the story and we're going to collaborate together. But some players don't want to have that spotlight or have to say anything. They want to just be there, have fun with their friends. And then at moments they can do certain things. And this system doesn't allow them to just do that thing quietly. You have to kind of actively take that part and, and have that driving gusto. Like it, it, that's part of why it fits Mm -hmm. with a a swashbuckler sort of thing. You got to be Errol Flynn. Like you got to have that attitude going into it. And if you're a quieter person, that can be difficult in this system. Um, Unless you have, you know, a table that's going to continue to try and pull you into it again, your group. Yeah. Yeah. Super, super important. That's a good exactly, point. and I think you know, a, a player that's more reserved or nervous or whatever the situation is, um, stuff like this can help. You know, help them get out of their comfort zone a little bit, and, you know, and strengthen your your improv and role playing skills. Mm, yeah. You know, it helps develop that, and you know, because you're coming up with. You know, in the in this story story arc section, uh, it basically talks about you come up with 
more or less bullet points of things that you want to do. And then kind of the GM works with that and, and develops it a little bit more. Um, so so the, the player isn't necessarily, you know, going the whole nine yards and, and uh, you know, creating the entire story. They're, they're just kind of getting a little taste of, of creating, uh, you know, the beginning of this story hook and, and then it goes further from there. Right. They're setting out a framework and then the narrator can help fill in that framework or cause situations to help that framework be met. Or yeah. weave the various frameworks together, too. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, that too, which, for sure. Which creates new opportunities to for bigger and better stuff. Yeah. Which, from personal experience, is one of the better aspects of, of the game, just because that's something that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a giant puzzle yeah. that you've got to put together. Gotcha. Uh, and I love it. Because this story, maybe you, you see this story from this player, and then you see this story from this player, and you're like, oh, these can work well really, these can work really well together. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah, it works then, really well when you can shift the spotlight around a lot for this. Because like you say, every player has agency. Every mm-hmm. player has their moment to shine. Mm-hmm. So that, that helps a lot. Yeah, and I, I think it also helps, uh, you know, the GM and the players in this experience uh you know of the campaign or or whatever the situation is mm-hmm. it helps them not stay not get burned out or get too bogged down on one main storyline all the time uh you know if that's mm. the kind of you know gm right. that, that's running the game so it helps uh break off kind of like mini episodes Sure. Uh, break off onto this storyline for one or two sessions or, you know, whatever the situation is. And, and I think that's, you know, another strength that this system has. Makes sense. Yeah. Many episodes that are connected to a storyline from the start, uh, as opposed to just yeah. being, quote, a random encounter or, or uh, you know, a random... Or a side quest. Side quest, right. you know. Yeah. Yeah. Now you can still pull those in if it you is. want to, but... <laughs> yeah, exactly. We always do. <laughs> yep. What? People get distracted? Say it isn't so. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, let's let's transition just a little bit here. Uh, something that I don't have much experience or knowledge with in this system uh, is the sorcery aspect of things. Hmm. Um, just because I haven't created a character that's dealt with it that much sounds like that's a challenge Um, for future games yeah yeah exactly (laughs) um it seems a little crunchy but not too bad just from from first glances well i i had uh developed some uh sorcery in in our game that i got to dabble Mm. with a little bit and i like it it's very subtle magic in this system is very subtle you're not right. throwing around fireballs and you know casting right, exactly. giant illusions and you know it's it's not which is actually a big change not a big change but a partial change from first edition because there was a fireball throwing school in first edition true true <laughs> yes um but uh no i think uh, it, they did a good job of kind of standardizing across the different because all of the schools of magic are very very different exceedingly mm-hmm. different yes but they all right. kind of have some of the same uh power levels in very different ways 
Okay. And well, and that's that's part of the theme they bring in with this mm-hmm. is that you know if you are um, a sorcerer, you do have power that is literally world breaking, and that's part of what they've mm-hmm. given you. Many aspects of that are that it's supposed to be strong because that's part of the character challenge. Mm-hmm. Power is great. Do you, are you responsible with it, or right. are you helping yourself slide more and more towards villain because of that power, that absolute power corrupting? Sure. Right. Mm-hmm. The magic in here is designed to feel unique from anything that you've seen out there. It's not like, okay, cool, I'm a cleric, so therefore my magic comes from a divine, but it's basically the same thing as a wizard, which comes from study, you know, right. and, and arcane things. Right. You know, it's very much like, you made a deal with someone. <laughs> Would you like to make yeah. another deal for a little bit more help? Or That's true. you see how things connect. And it's it's almost superpowers level because each person is its own version of that sorcery and sorcery itself is very different from one nation to another to another to another right yes from from first glance it it seems like they did a good job keeping it medieval and not medieval fantasy mm-hmm. um, yeah like they leaned in on on um superstitions yeah yeah that's true it's magic period not magic there there is some that are some. more magic-y than, than others. Um, right. I'm but for a reason like the... that fits with the storyline of the Agreed. world. Agreed. Yeah. But I'm thinking of like the Montaigne port magic. Porte, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Porte yeah, yeah. has a, a definite, uh, you know. You're teleporting. It's a travel. You're teleporting. You're teleporting. That's yeah, teleporting. You're... you're pulling things through. You're yeah. making portals. Um, yeah. What I used was the, uh, the Avalon... Um, stories and and yeah the knights right. of avalon it's, the knights of avalon it was very much just tradition and basically it was little tweaks to what you could do so mm-hmm. it was very subtle in terms of that's how that's how nathaniel could do everything <laughs> well, a lot of it yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you're taking on the mantle of a great hero you're becoming mm-hmm. a great hero like yeah <laughs> yeah yep. exactly what else do we want to talk about about 7C Second Edition? We should kind of wrap up here, or else more than half of this episode is going to be true. I mean, that's not all bad. You know, we can just call I mean, it the 7C episode. <laughs> it's right. Another no. 7C episode. Another 7C episode. Uh, definitely one of the cool things is the the dueling um, mechanics and the, oh, the dueling, dueling school schools and, the, and all yeah. that sort of stuff. Um, the styles therein, it's not just I can swing a sword, but my sword is two handed. It's I can swing a sword and I was trained at this school. So it looks like this. And in that, because I have taken the time to train, I have more than just an attack mechanic. I now can lunge and I can parry and I can repost and I can do these other things. We hear terms for whenever you look at fencing, but it actually has like tangible mechanical benefits in the game. Mm -hmm. So it encourages you to use those terms and also kind of elaborate on what you're doing when you are swinging that sword. Now, one of the complaints about this system though, is Mm -hmm. the huge um, difference in a swordsman versus any other character. There's a huge advantage to fighting, at least fighting with a a swordsman school as opposed to not being... Which is actually uh, a beautiful change from first edition. Yeah, yeah, it really is. In first edition, if you didn't invest in a swordsman school and just invested in the raw points of fighting, you could always be the swordsman. Which is then, why do I take a swordsman school? Why would I be a person who is trained with a sword when a street brute can beat me up because he's beat up more people than I have? Like, that's 
That's right, broken. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, it is something that you might want to kind of consider. Um, you know, I think for us, all of us were swordsmen, which yep. that kind of fits well, to this kind of game that, yeah, you know, we were all quote unquote swordsmen. Right. Just Ryan because Ryan's sword the, was his fist. Was yes. his fists. And <laughs> he was a, also a, a sorcerer. Set of sorcerer, you know, fist sorcerer, cast punch. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Here here's the thing. Like if you don't take a dueling school, is is there enough stuff, let's say, in, in the magic section for combat that could benefit you? Depends on the school. What I found interesting as with our play, um, Nathaniel was a swordsman, but I hardly ever got to use it. You know, when we went into battle, you know, Ryan or Mateo would, would leap in. And by the right. time I started doing anything subtle or, or doing anything, you know, with my stuff. magic Yeah. You guys kind of already had it taken care of. Um, I did a lot more in terms of support, you know, sneaking in and creating a distraction or... Starting things off. Yeah. Maybe preparing the, the, the next scene for our success a little bit better. Sure. So yeah, and does that mean that punching. there's a problem with your role play in that you played the spy type person who doesn't want to get into a fight and you didn't get into a fight as much I think the, because you're I a think spy. The biggest, <laughs> I think the biggest the point is, um, as much as I, I believe in swordsman schools, I think there's also a lot of value in playing somebody who's not a swordsman. Mm-hmm. You, there's still mm-hmm. a lot of stuff you can do. There's still a lot of ways to contribute, um, you know. And... Yeah, there definitely is. Like this is designed in a in a narrative sort of situation. If you're the person right. who just likes to talk and play a musical instrument, not for magical purposes, just literally that you just like to carouse <laughs> and do musician yeah. stuff, you can be the distraction. You can be the encourager. You can help the person get through the mm-hmm. the mental strain of whatever combat they went through. Like there's a lot that you can definitely do right. without touching mm-hmm. a blade. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, that that might wrap things up for this segment. But there's so many things um, to talk about. Okay, but there are <laughs> there are all the things to talk about, and I think most of them will be off air preparing Probably. for our game. <laughs> oh, and should, oh, well, should we say anything we'll be... about that? The next game, not the next next game, but kind of the next game, like the the immediate next game, but. Or should we just keep it vague, um, keep people ju- jumping and guessing and wondering? We'll keep people. We'll keep people guessing. All right, I'm gonna yeah, leave like this it. in, well, just, and we'll just keep people guessing. I guess obviously we've already kind of said something is coming. So something is coming. Yes. <laughs> yes. Exa- exactly. Yeah. Stay tuned for our our next installment of Flash Bash and Panache. Oh. It'll be a special one. It is. Yes. Um, but with that being said, I think that's it for our segment of Game at a Glance. Now on to some main topics. Gentlemen, we have some stuff to talk about if we haven't talked about enough already. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like we always do, we we kind of, you know, we hang out over there on Reddit and we pull some topics that we find are interesting. Uh, This one's just kind of a classic question that is always good to talk about um, and that one is, what do you look for when buying a game? I don't think we need to get any more into what the post says. 
um, we'll just kind of jump right in. Logan, what what do you what do you do when you look for buying a game? You know, for me, I like to make sure there's kind of like a, a dual purpose. Can I use this in more than one place or more than one group? Um, I like to to see if it also fills a niche that I don't have with another system that I already know, um, or if there's something I can learn from it uh, that adds to it, or if if even if I have something for that genre or that game feel, does it have mechanics that support that style of play better? You know, so mm. is it unique? It's definitely a part of it too. Yeah, no, I I agree with with uniquity. <laughs> uniquity. Words meant here. Whatever the the correct word would be. <laughs> um, yeah, uniqueness is a, uh, is a is a good aspect to have in a game because. You know, that's, that's a reason somebody should buy your game because it's not like other games and, and right. for this reason, you know. True. Mark, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I agree with all that. Um, I usually lean more towards genre. You know, it's just a genre that I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. And then I'll go to the, is this something, is, is this unique? Do I already have something? A great example of that is um, the Star Wars role-playing game. I have the entire D6 West End games, (laughs) which I love. That's great. And that's why I never went went about picking up the Fantasy Flight Star Wars when that came out. Mm, Fair, yeah. Mm -hmm. I had one that worked. Why, you know, why do I want anything different? Um, You know, it it was kind of the same with the Star Trek. When that came out, I resisted that for the longest time. Um, But, uh, you know, other games I've picked up that I like. Ghostbusters. I have nothing <laughs> that's like Ghostbusters. So when that came out, I snatched of that course. up. That was great. Yeah. Um, uh, espionage. I'm still looking for the right espionage game. Um, yeah, I backed absolutely. Top Secret when that came out, and uh, that has some stuff I like, but I don't know that it's really exactly what I'm looking for. Uh, Cold mm-hmm. Shadows has some great stuff. I'm not sure it's everything I'm looking for yet. It's not, yeah. you know. So that's a genre that I'm still exploring and looking for. All right, not um, to distract to uh, the discussion part of this, because I know we're still kind of saying the things we like or we look for, <laughs> yeah. but that's something I actually want to point at right there. You're talking about it's not quite exactly what you want. Have we ever mm-hmm. found a system that has everything we want? I don't think it's Seven possible. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> yeah, you're okay. right. Fair enough. That's no kidding, very good point. But but I'm pretty satisfied. I mean, we just spent a huge chunk of time talking about Seventh C. That's a game that I would say I'm satisfied with this. I'm I I'm looking forward to playing that. I oh, there's many things I look forward to playing, but they don't sure. always all have the things that I want. <laughs> no, no, of course right. not. Um, but uh, other times I'll look for you know if there's a new version of something uh, um, yeah. paranoia is a game that when i oh, saw yeah. the updated version of that i picked that up right um i almost picked that up the other day i uh, saw the the red box version oh nice nice i almost picked it up but uh you know those are uh, in that case it's something i have a familiarity with and i guess same with seven c i knew the first mm-hmm. edition so when i saw the second edition you picked I was it up jump on that, leap on that yeah how about you, Zach? What do you look for? Yeah. Um, for me, 
a lot of the stuff that I pick up, I, I usually pick it up because it looks it looks interesting or uh, it, or again, it's not like something that I already own. Mm-hmm. Um, with the exception of uh, various things like I, I already had uh, uh, the copy of Tales from the Loop, mm-hmm. but I purchased a copy of Kids on Bikes, ah. which yeah. very similar genre. Tales from the Loop is like Kids on Bikes on steroids. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But again, that that's just because that's kind of a, a piece that you want to have. It's a very short, small book. Um, that could be a situation where that's something that maybe I already know the rules of. I can teach it to somebody really quickly. Whereas something like Tales from the Loop, I cannot teach Tales from the Loop very quickly. <laughs> um, okay. So that's a situation where I, I would buy something that, that is similar. Um, okay. But a lot of the stuff I pick up is either very niche <laughs> like i just picked up a, a copy of the d6 star wars stuff yeah which mark was just talking about True. um but that that's kind of a piece that you know they just did the remake of uh i went into my local game store and i saw that they had a copy so i picked it up but yeah i try and lean towards uh the very niche and the very narrative mm-hmm. um I do I do some research too before I pick up a game. Um, I'll look at what people say about the game sometimes, or um, or I'll like if I see something that I want at my local store and I don't know that much about it. Instead of like dumping sixty bucks on a book, hmm. uh, I'll go home and I'll do a little bit of research and I'll see. I'll kind of take a game at a glance uh, bef- before I actually purchase it. I think that's definitely something that's um, changed over time. You know, it used to be that you had to pick it up at the store to find out anything in about order it. To learn about and it. Now True. the internet has definitely helped. I mean, granted, the internet's not exactly new this year, but uh, you know, it's nice <laughs> because we are kind of in a golden age for role play games. There are so many people doing actual plays. There are so many people doing reviews on games uh, that that you can see. Not just you know, is this game interesting, but you can almost guaranteedly find somebody who's played it out there and find someone who's oh, done yeah. something with it so you can see okay cool what does it actually look like in work you know like play it out can i experience this before i have to buy it <laughs> and almost always you can pick up a pdf pretty cheap mm-hmm. for a before bucks. you pick yeah. up the uh the physical copy if you want yes yeah which is all a, a wonderful tool online yeah is something like drive through rpg that sells basically all of the pdfs in existence mm-hmm. for sure um but yeah, uh, what are your guys' opinions on preference when it comes to uh, when it comes to your games? Um, are are you a physical copy? I know Mark's a physical copy person. <laughs> uh, are you a physical copy person or are you a, a digital PDF kind of person? Logan, what do you think? Uh, I am not an either or person. I am an and person. Why not okay, both? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I like having the Why physical copy. Both? It's really nice. Um, you know, especially with a lot of modern systems, the, they're just beautiful. Like people do a great job on the mm-hmm. art and the layout and everything is great. And it's nice to have a physical copy on hand, but it's also really handy to be able to drop a PDF in and search for a certain thing when you need to find it and to have yeah. that with you yes. on your phone or your tablet or whatever, when you're out and about not having to carry six books with you, like you're in school. Uh, right. So <laughs> I both, I like both, but yeah, I, agree. Know, I really I, dig I, a system. I do end up getting the physical as well, you know? 
Yeah. Yeah. That's almost exactly where I am. I, I have a thumb drive where I carry everything, and I have a lot on PDF that I don't... We're not going to make a joke about thumb drives in age. Don't do it. It's rude. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think uh, there's a lot of value to having that PDF these days. Oh, yeah. And sure. especially with games that have different um, different resources. So... Uh, we we have played a little bit of uh, um, a little bit of Flash Gordon mm-hmm. on on Fantasy Grounds, sure. And that's a situation where there's a lot of handouts, or there's mm-hmm. you know there's some different charts and or, or um, different pages that can can tell you what you can do in combat or for your different actions, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and having a having a PDF that you can just you know take take a an image from a PDF and just have it to pop in to whatever uh, digital tabletop that you're playing on uh, is so great. It's wonderful. Yeah, right. That, that's definitely. for playing online. Right. You know, if you're playing at a table, then obviously the physical uh, handouts help a lot more. Mm-hmm. Depends on the table. Yeah. You absolutely. know, like I definitely have, have used, you know, PDF handouts and, and stuff like that in a, uh, tabletop playing situation or have a mm. there's like a, a tv or display there where i can pull up something mm. you know and show it you know at the table but Makes sense. having the requirement to to be separate at this time where the panini is still happening um mm-hmm. you know it's it definitely changes what we look for i think you know can i convert this to a virtual tabletop situation is this easy enough to show across you know a screen or or just mm-hmm. by voice can i explain good it point. yeah very good point yeah exactly I'm I'm also a both person. I forgot. I probably yeah. I, I probably have more PDF. Yeah, I think we all have more PDFs than we have mm-hmm. a physical. They're just so easy to get. Of, of <laughs> true. That's you know, very and true. And they're cheap. And they're yep. cheap, man. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I I think, but yeah, there are definitely advantages to having both. I much prefer uh, actually reading through a physical copy than I do a PDF mm. because. Yeah, I'm one of those nerds that enjoys actually holding the book and, and flipping through and reading. I will yes. say when I'm on a game online, I have the physical book with me. Um, yeah, we, we just talked about 7C and I think all yeah. of us ran and grabbed our physical book. Yeah, all of us grabbed our physical books. <laughs> for reference and, you know, that sort of thing. I can say I don't have my PDF up. Does anybody have their 7C PDF up? No. I had both. I am that nerd. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, you had both. Yeah, hey, that's okay. And but but yeah, like with sometimes like with character creation in certain games, I like having the PDF up because again, like Logan said a minute ago, you can search through a PDF for a keyword True. or whatever and find things so much quicker. True. You're like, oh, uh, what was that one skill? You type it in, boom, done. There it is. So I, I just I, I kind of enjoy having that for you know for the different you know different applications of them. Uh, yeah. Anyways, I think we'll transition from that. Uh, Mark had a, a, f- a fun topic here about uh, GMs using, maybe using the wrong systems. Yeah, we, um, and it's interesting. I, I think, you know, we had talked at one point about doing a topic where we, we talked about um, choosing systems for each other, but the, uh, you know, now with Logan, we got to get to know him better before we can do that. But <laughs> right. um, 
but still, kind of a fun, I, fun, uh, fun project yeah, to do. <laughs> yeah, but I think there is a point of, of looking at systems, and part of this goes to choosing the system, but mm-hmm. are there some systems that are better for a game master than others? And have we experienced game masters using a system that didn't fit their game master style? Yeah. Um, um, or have yeah. you ever run a game that you were running it and realized, yeah, this is not for me. This is not my thing. Well, I mean, as as a GM, thinking about running a, a specific game, so thinking back when I ran my D&D 5th edition stuff, mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily think that I was running the wrong game. I just think that I would enjoy running a different game more mm. just from personal experience. I don't know if I've ever run the wrong game. Uh, I think there are specific games that work better for specific GMs. Like like take, take an example of, hey, we want to run an espionage game. Of course Mark's going to run the espionage game. <laughs> Because Except that's he wants Mark's... to play the espionage game, so he's got <laughs> yeah. that horrible loop of. Right. But I love this thing, but I can never play this thing. <laughs> but he's so good at writing for it. <laughs> but even with that, you know, as, as I mentioned earlier, I haven't found the system that felt exactly right yet, and I think that's right. part of it too. Is what is you know, espionage might be a good genre, but is there a good mechanic that fits my style better? And that can be, you know, that that's part of this equation too. You know, right. I think there's genre. There's can you write this type of story, and mm-hmm. there's can you make it fit this game system. Right. I think there's definitely a a difference in is it wrong or right for the GM using it, and is it wrong mm-hmm. or right for the party or the tone that you're trying to do too. You know, if you're not a person mm-hmm. who likes to prepare and plan ahead. Um, and set up things ahead of time and you have players who do playing a system that is a little bit more um, system intensive will be difficult mm-hmm. for you because you're going to be fa- completely feel like you're behind the eight ball and you can't really you know portray a cool story because you're not you're not a person who takes time to prepare for things right. um, you know that that's one example um, I, mm-hmm. I more find that the the system seems to be either grading against the tone that you're trying to go for or the, the genre or the setting, um, or it's great against what your players want to do, you know, how much they want to have fun with, with that style of play. Right. True. Uh, yeah, a, a lot of this, in my mind, just goes, goes back to, you know, comparing systems to one another. Like, say we run a Star Trek game. There are, you know, it, it, my mind just goes back to, oh, there's, just there's probably just a, a better system that you could be running mm-hmm. not necessarily you're running the wrong system i think where gms get caught up with the wrong system is they have a system they know and they've had a lot of fun with it and they're like i'm gonna make this do this other story type which can sometimes work but often you're <laughs> gonna put in three times as much work to try and convert and change this and then when your players get into it, they're like cool we're playing D but star trek i yeah. don't get how why am i not able to slay some goblins we're playing D and D, right? No, no, guys, right. it's Star Trek. Yeah, right. It, it's funny. I was just thinking about the the cipher version of Star Trek, which I ran, uh-huh. and it was very much that kind of D twenty system mm-hmm. for Star Trek. And 
it didn't feel right. I've run Star Trek. I can I, Star Trek is not a bad universe for me to run, but this system, I think, was more of a it was a more of a bad combination for this for the genre right. than it was a bad combination for me as a for game you. master. Right. Yeah, and that's that a lot sense. of situations that you can run into as well, just mm-hmm. because you know, especially with these intellectual property games True. that have X amount of different uh, game systems for the same genre or setting, whatever. Mm-hmm. This goes well, back to that... what we are talking about a little while ago. I think the system needs to aid the gameplay you want to have. If you're not mm-hmm. planning on kicking down doors and slaying things, you know, and, and looting, then you probably don't want to go with a standard D20-based system because that's what it was built around, changing a war game into a role-play situation. Right. If you want to have mm-hmm. mechanics that support you know, intellectually thinking about scientific problems or science-ish feeling problems and, you know, exploring new civilizations, I would not suggest something that is heavily combat-focused, but you do need to have something that has combat in there that helps support the gameplay you need. You need to have, you know, mechanics for other things. Yeah. Heck, 7C would almost be a better system for (laughs) Star Trek than, than, (laughs) you know, maybe a a standard D20-based system. Sure. Yeah. I think I think a lot of uh, you know a lot dealing with this specific topic and this this Reddit post here, you, you know it goes goes back to is the GM just running the system incorrectly, mm-hmm. and is mm-hmm. is that why that you know you're thinking that this is the wrong system for this GM? Like, do they just not know enough about? the system do they are they not as invested in the system there could be a lot of you know person to person situations going on sure but yeah, well actually that's that's a great point there is the system they just picked up that might be the right system for the genre the wrong system for the person running it because they're based on they're basing their their um narration of the game on other systems yeah. Like if they came yeah, from, you know, point. something that is mechanically heavily driven and they're used to people doing, uh, okay, so I'd like to see if there's something in this room. Cool. Roll me a perception check. That's not going to mm-hmm. work in 7C because <laughs> you don't do skill checks like that. And you're going to exactly. get extremely confused on how that's... to deal with conflict. Like, can I find this thing or not? Yeah. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds like uh, season one of, of uh, I was about to say, did <laughs> you have us searching for traps and what, you know? Yeah. We were, we were doing a little bit of that. Yeah. Well, it's hard we had, a, we had sense. a hard, we had a hard time adjust, or I had a hard time adjusting uh, because, you know, my, my gaming experience before that was D and D. Yeah. Yeah. So then transition into that, you got to get out of the mindset of perception checks and, and, of course, checking for trends. Right. Right. <laughs> oh, uh, we've got one more topic here today. Uh, and Mark, do you want to? Well, this I, it's exactly what we were just in. talking about, really. And as a matter of fact, I, I was going to mention, you know, one example I think we've talked about of a GM using the wrong system. I talked about uh, Blades in the Dark. Mm-hmm. That that feels to me like it's a wrong system for me to run. Right. Um. I, I, I haven't tried it. I Maybe I could be fine, but it, I'm reading it. I love the game. I love to play it, but it just didn't feel right. And that kind of is the next Reddit topic. Was my GM bad or Blades in the Dark just not for me? And that's almost exactly what we were just talking about is mm-hmm. um, a, a GM who has used a bad system for them. Um, 
as a player, how do you recognize, did this, is this a bad game or was it just run badly? Um, and that's really hard because your first yeah. experience is such an influence. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and there are all these different possibilities of maybe the, the, the story that they wrote isn't, isn't the best for, for the genre or the, the system. Maybe the GM isn't adhering to the rules as, as much as they should. Or uh, interpreting you know, so the rules. In a, or in yeah, inter- because yeah. everything everybody perceives things differently. So they read a, a line that says something, and they take it a completely different way. Sure, right. and I've talked about this before. I've always had a very bad, very bad taste in my mouth about D and D. I I mm-hmm. don't like D and D. And is that just because I've never had a good game master? No, but I haven't had a really good D and D game master uh, lead me through it. Yeah, I think that mm-hmm. definitely has a huge influence, you know, sure. um, because when you have a really bad experience to start, you equate that bad experience. That's just natural for any living creature. You equate that bad experience with that stimuli. Right. Um, yep. If you have that feeling, especially with some of us gamers who've been around from old times uh, to current where you have that adversarial um, dungeon master or you have mm-hmm. that feeling of um, – feeling out of like a fish out of water because you don't know what you can do <laughs> and the dm isn't going to help you at all they're just like no you can't do that no with no reason right. no explanation no helping yeah. you understand and, and engage with the system that's mm-hmm. jarring that's yeah disorienting yeah. that's really hard to deal with and and i think um you know now that i've transitioned from you know a, a basic role player to a, a narrative role player um you know i can I think I can agree with Mark in going the the way that you know on paper the way that D and D is it's it's saying that basically the GM makes the decisions. There's n- no collaborative storytelling baked into the system. Mm. We don't seem like that is as much of a fun experience as something that bakes the narrative into the system. But that's not necessarily, that's not necessarily true. You, I mean, you know, you play, you know, thinking of what else we've played, a lot of it can be played very, you roll the dice, you succeed, you fail, mm-hmm. and you move on. Mm-hmm. And it's adding that narrative layer of describing, you know, turning that, those mechanics into a narrative that could be done with any game. Well, and that's and the thing with, you know, fair. new, new people running a role play system and expressing it yes. in a bad way. And I think that's Good where point. it comes comes up is you're not only a new player, but maybe that DM was new. Because Good to point. me, yeah. you know, like you look at D&D since we're we're talking about that a little bit. You look at D&D, mm-hmm. I'm going to cast, you know, a spell. And that spell has verbal somatic and material components. Cool. Mm-hmm. So I need to make sure I got something in my hand. I need to spe- speak and I need to wave my hand about. Okay. Well, that just means it's like a nerf. I can't hold a you know two weapons in my hand. I can only have one weapon, and then my other hand has to be free to do the little hand gesture. Okay. That feels like a frustration, unless you <laughs> go, no, I am playing a wizard. So what does that look like? I wave my right. hand in a very geometric symbol while I grab some dust. I throw it in the air. I speak the you know ancient word, and then this burst of flame comes from my hand. You can make it mm-hmm. narrative, yep. but you have to have that presence of mind that you're not so worried about getting the system right 
that you allow yeah. yourself to have that narrative moment or you have to have a dm yes. who also feels so comfortable with it they're like cool so you cast you know fireball what does that look like describe for right. us what happens and taking that minute right. there to do it there is encouragement in dnd to do that but because you have people who are just trying to get the system down and just trying to survive mm-hmm. dming something for you know their first couple of times it doesn't come through as often and it's difficult true. you know yeah true that's a yeah that's point. That's a, the the weird trade off you get with playing games. Mm-hmm. I had some bad experiences yeah. with D anD D when I was younger. Um, you know, there was one character that comes to mind where I had a a like wild elf that his whole tribe was about riding on griffins, and so he was a like griffin rider <laughs> sort of person. Like his whole all the skills were around that. And within twenty minutes of gameplay, the DM had killed my griffin and captured me, and I never <laughs> saw a griffin again. Oh, oh man! Wow. So that was a worthless bit of gameplay but i learned some stuff from it it decided for me that i don't want to ever be in a game like that and i like to be able to run <laughs> games and make everybody yeah. else have a good experience for whatever that is and and help them to experience something cool yeah exactly so it was helpful awesome. but it was horrible and i would never want anybody to experience that <laughs> right a, a story i've told for for years uh i went into my local gaming store they've got some tables that oh cool yeah like game nights and just, stuff yeah exactly just host it you yeah. know have anybody come and play a game and whatever um so i sat in on a, a fifth edition game no it was a 3.5 game oh, okay um and I, I had started off playing Pathfinder, so I was fairly familiar with that kind of rule set. Yeah, they're almost identical. Um, almost identical. So I just, I sat in and um, I was there for like two hours. Uh, and during that two hours, we did like one combat. Hmm. One, just one combat encounter, which was probably five rounds. Oh, okay. So the entire two hours was that combat encounter. Was that combat encounter. Gotcha. I was so aggravated. Oh, okay. <laughs> because it was, there was no narrative. There was only rolling dice and no, it, it was a, a miniatures game at that hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and, that's that's coming to the wrong table or the wrong moment at that table. You know, D&D, uh, a friend of mine says that D&D is two games. You have your role play and then you have your strategy game when you get into combat. Yeah. yeah. And that's the way the system is designed. So if you're not interested in sort of strategic play, that'll be frustrating. Yeah, it's, it just seemed scaling was off. Mm. Um, Too much time just, on that you know, one for, thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. It's like mm-hmm. you don't, who wants to be here for two hours? You know, like yeah. I'm the kind of person that if I if I run, you know, let's say my fifth edition games, I would try and balance like having them doing narrative social stuff for half of the session, and then maybe have one combat in there that would just that would get them into combat and get going a little bit, and then combat ends at a natural point in time. Right. Uh, not two hours later, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's, there's, there are just those, those situations in gaming that, that seem like it could turn people off from, from gaming, uh, in, in, in certain ways. 
Now, kind of bringing it back away from D&D, because we could talk about that for mm-hmm. a bit, and I've got some ideas and stuff, and maybe we'll have sure. to do something in the future. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, looking at the the post about, you know, was my GM bad, or is Blades in the Dark just not for me, um, that that is an interesting thing that they brought up just in general, because on average, the reviews I've seen and from when I've read about it, I would say that Blades in the Dark is designed to be leaning towards the more narrative system. But mm-hmm. specifically mm-hmm. what they talked about there was it felt extremely formulaic when they were playing mm-hmm. Blades in the Dark that mm-hmm. um, they, they they spent a lot of time setting up a base. Um, one talkative member of the group kind of helped plan a heist, and then there was a roll, and it was done. There wasn't really much interaction between things. It was one person talking. There was these mechanics of setting up a base and doing a heist, but they didn't feel like they had any chance to really role play, it seems. Gotcha. Yeah, that's true. That's That's interesting because on average i would say that blaze in the dark is made to be narrative and it has a loose enough rule system to help support you filling in those gaps yeah. with role play and with conversation yeah i think in, <clears throat> excuse me i think in the, for the most part it's more of a case of the gm is not for you rather than the game is not for you or maybe this think, GM has no idea what they're doing with the system, and they're like, cool, we're just doing mechanics tonight because I can't figure out anything else. I just need very, to figure out how this stuff works. Very yeah. true. Yeah. yeah. I think a good GM can make any game, regardless of the mechanics, yep. work well. Yep, I agree. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, so I think, uh, and, and you're right, it might be a new GM who's just learning, and you just need to stick with them until they, they figure out how things work and, and learn what they're mm-hmm. doing. But uh, but I think uh, for the most part, it's almost always the game master. But most of the time, it's the game master as opposed to the game. Yeah, yeah. You got You got game master slash group. Yeah. If yes. people aren't jumping in with with the scenes and stuff like that, that's true. Maybe too. the GM will read that and just kind of take over at that point. Sure, the game master uh, might be reacting to the other players, and yep. they're the ones holding holding the thing down. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta find could, that it could be, group it dynamic could be different that things. fits for you, right? You know, yeah. And maybe the system's not good for the group. Maybe the GM's good. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just that not everybody's involved. So maybe something like that. And Very at this true. modern age, with all the options for virtual tabletops or other places you can go for tabletops, there are geek gaming stores all over the place. Don't feel <laughs> like you got to be stuck with that group just because that didn't mm-hmm. vibe with you. You don't have to be there, even if there's some deep friends. You'd be like, hey, guys, I'm just not feeling this right now. I love you all. This is great, yep. but I'm just not feeling this table, and that's okay. You don't. It doesn't have yeah. to be a bad thing. You you need to go find your fun where that's at and not feel yeah. like you're stuck in a situation that sucks. <laughs> Good point. Exactly. No, I agree 100%. Yeah. And I think that that might be where we round things off for this episode today. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me today, Mark, Logan. It's Thanks, been a Zach. pleasure. Yes. yes, thank you for joining me on this very probably rainy or dreary Sunday. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's that time of year. Yes. But gentlemen, thank you, and I look forward to the next one. And that's it for this episode of Tabletop Radio Hour. Like always, you can find this episode on soundcloud.com slash tabletopradiohour and on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter at tabletopcast if you have any questions or comments. You can join us over on Facebook.com slash TabletopRadioHour for regular updates. We also have an email address, that is TabletopRadioHour at gmail.com. Our website, TabletopRadioHour.wordpress.com. You can find information about our Patreon page on our website. 
I want to thank you all for listening and keep rolling 20s.